Hi, folks. How are you? Look at me. I'm Pastor Gibb. In the last two weeks or a month or so, I've been talking to people about feeling anxious and their concerns. And here's a short list. Jobs, friendships, marriage, divorce, kids, depression, cars, houses, dogs, parents, bosses, cancer, heart attacks, having a baby, politics, and travel. In fact, this afternoon, if you feel the need to feel anxious, go home and watch TV, listen to the radio, pick up a magazine. Almost guaranteed, you will find something in there, advertising-wise or whatever, that will make you feel a little anxious, that you have to do something, even if it's about your teeth. Today, we're going to look at a passage that addresses being anxious worried, and rather than being consumed with anxiety, turning to our Lord who is near at hand and will bring true peace into our lives. That worship music's great. It sets a tone. It helps us focus upward and draw, want to draw near. When we face anxiety, we can choose the outcome. Read with me, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you hear that verse, do not be anxious about anything. Is there a little voice in the back of your head going, who's he kidding? Who's he kidding? We live in an anxiety-ridden culture with anxiety-ridden people, us. Let's define anxiety. Being anxious is a mental distress or agitation resulting from the fear of something that has not happened. Hadn't even happened. And I would posit a lot of times it won't happen. Worry and anxious can be motivational to change the what is and we do something about it or it becomes a mental obsession and we loop around the what-ifs, and we leave them unchecked. We don't take it to the Lord, we don't do something with it, and we just go around and around. 
What's a what if? Maybe go back to student days. That's always a great safe example. If I flunk this class, I won't graduate. Then we go into the ifs. If I don't graduate, I won't get a job. And if I don't get a job, I won't make money. And if I don't get a don't make money, I can't get married or I can't buy a car, that car I want. Okay? And we just go spinning down. The challenge today is to take those what ifs and take them to the Lord and focus on the what is's in life. Don't allow it to become an obsession that we become trapped in and then immobilize. Look at Matthew 6, 25. This is a long passage. I often read this at the hospital. I'm not sure why. Maybe you can get the idea. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, i.e. the pagans, the unbelievers, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, so what are some quick takeaways from Matthew 6? I'm waiting for my friends' slides because I read the slides on this. (laughs) Look at this. Don't be anxious. Duh, it said that like 10 times. Okay, don't be anxious about tomorrow. What do we do? We focus on today. And I keep calling this the what is. What do I need to do today? The next. 
focus on what is, not what if. Seek first God, his kingdom, today, right now. Don't say, well, you know, I'll do that tomorrow. Priority-wise is focus on the Lord. Take it to him now. Talk to him now. Appeal to him now. Today. Right now. Anxious and worry is a symptom of fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. So what is Paul saying? Do not be anxious. Stop being anxious. Do not obsess over things that you do not have control over and will not even happen. They won't even happen. But there is an outcome we can control. Paul is painting a picture of a great outcome. When we go to the Lord, praying, seeking, trusting, it changes our relationship with him. Verse 5, it says, the Lord is at hand. He's right here. Yes, he's positionally seated next to the Father, but he constantly said in his ministry, I will be with you always. He said, wherever two or more gathered, I'll be there in your presence. We describe our relationship with him as it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in us. He's here. Reach your hand. With it, we touch things. We grab things. We're affectionate. We even show emotion with our hands. But the Lord is right here. He is at hand. He's near. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Folks, can you receive that? Can you believe that? Can you take it in and make it part of you? He's not going to leave you and abandon you, no matter what's going on. He's near. We can turn to him. Why? Ultimately, it's because he loves us. And as believers, is in this relationship with us. But it's not a transaction where... I do this, and God does that. Okay? Avoid thinking like that. Jesus' teaching doesn't do that. Paul's teaching doesn't do that. There's not a transaction going here where I can be pleasing to God. I can be pleasing to God, but that's seeking him, not just doing things. What's a transformation look like? My relationship with Jesus is based on love. 
not on doing things. His for me, mine for him. He wooed us. He revealed himself to each one of us in here that's a believer. Through Scripture, through the Holy Spirit revealing things, through bringing people into our lives that were believers, that trusted in Him. And so He works in our lives. And we come to a point where we've heard about His death for us and His resurrection, that He's still alive. He's not dead. He's alive and he wants to be in our lives, and we believe, and a transformation starts happening. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and starts revealing truth and things about us. And what happens? What happens? There is a transformation of our desires and values. Because of this relationship, I am a different person because Jesus is my Lord, my Savior. He's in my life through the Holy Spirit. He's there. It's his love for me and my love for him motivating me, motivating me. It's not get something from God. It's a relationship that we trust him and rely on him to take us through. Again, look at your hand. This week, when you think about your hand, think about the Lord is near. Welcome him. Invite him in. Ask him to be with you. Because, folks, we have things that could lead us to be anxious in one end of the what-ifs, and we cannot focus and see that the Lord is near and that he wants us to trust him. Don't turn your back on him. He knows and sees the big picture that he's working in all the moving parts. We see our part, and that's myopic. Trust him. Our relationship with Jesus is a real relationship. It's based on faith, hope, and love. And in our current culture today, that's the basis for a trust relationship. When I'm sick, I get up in the morning, I'm sniffling or coughing or whatever, and my wife Caroline goes, you're sick. I know I'm sick. I'm going to be busy all day. I'm anxious about doing something. And I call the doctor, and I go see the doctor. Maybe it's at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But it takes care of that problem. It becomes, it goes, moves from a what if Okay, to what is. 
and I don't have to worry about that. The doctor walks me through this process. Man, here's another example. When Caroline and I were younger, and our four kids were kids, not adults, I would occasionally have this horrific thoughts when the four kids were home with me and she was out doing something. What would happen if she was in a wreck and I was left with four kids? Okay? Some of you would think we would probably call CPS. Okay? I hope that didn't hurt anybody. Okay? After a moment of anxiety, I would realize that she is beyond my control and that I have to trust the Lord with her. And I would pray, Lord, she's in your hands. Deliver her from evil. And luckily, he has. But the Lord here through the writings of Paul is encouraging us to turn from personal anxiety to action, action based on a relationship, turning to the Lord. Look at verse 6 again. What does it say? Be anxious, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Turning our anxieties into prayer and supplication. Prayer is personal communication with God. Now, the next couple of slides are out of Grudem's uh, systematic theology. Why does God want us to pray? There's three things. One, prayer expresses trust and faith in God, and prayer helps build trust in that relationship. We're talking to him, and we're listening for a response. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For who would ever draw near to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. That's not a transaction. That's a relationship. Men, we have to seek our wives. Wives, you have to seek your husband. In other relationships, we seek our friends. We seek work. We seek these things. We have to seek it. It's a relationship. Prayer expresses dependence on God. And prayer expresses our love and our relationship and fellowship with God. I'm going to give you an illustration here. This is kind of fun. We're going to call this, Do I Pray Like I Invite People Over for Dinner? Invitation number one. And my friend John is not here, so I can't talk to him, so I'll talk to you all. Hey, John, 
it would be nice to have you come to dinner sometime. What do you think the results of that are? John will probably never show up for dinner. Why? It's too vague. It's too clear. And at this moment, I would like to apologize. First hour, I looked out, and about three-fourths of the people in that audience, I had at one time or another said, hey, let's get together. Okay? And so I do apologize for that. If you'd like to get together with me, email me. Let's make plans. Be specific. Okay? But this is like a vague prayer where we go, God bless all my relatives and all the missionaries. I hope that's not too painful. Invitation number two. John, can you come over for dinner uh, Friday night at 6? But I ran off. As soon as I asked, I didn't wait for an answer. I didn't wait for an answer. Sometimes we do drive-bys with God. God, I need help. And we run off. We don't wait for an answer. We forget that prayer is a relationship between myself and God, and it takes time. Invitation number three. John, Caroline and I would love to have you come to dinner at our home Friday night It's 6 p.m. Could you come? This request is heartfelt, personal, it's specific. I have John's full attention, and I'm looking him in the eye. He knows I mean it and that I want to spend time with him. He knows it from my facial expressions, the tone of voice, the timing, the setting. I have put my whole self into this request. Our prayer needs to be earnest. We come before God. We worship. We do whatever. We gain a sense of his presence. And we pour out our request. And then we wait quietly for a response, an answer, some assurance of God's answer. That answer may come immediately. That answer may come tomorrow, next week, next month, even years from now. But it doesn't mean we don't pray and ask and listen. 
What's the desired outcome from that illustration? When we sense anxiety, we need to seriously come before the Lord, take in whatever time we have, and we pray and we wait for an answer. Paul encourages us to do something else in this passage also, and that is to pray with thanksfulness. And I'm not talking about some sort of mechanical rote prayer that we drop thankful in every third line so that I can check that off. Thankfulness comes from our innermost being, appreciation for what God has done. Do I believe that God has blessed me above and beyond anything I could possibly imagine or think? Do I believe that? Just the blessings in Jesus alone are unbelievable. He sought me out, he called me, he brought me to himself. I have been blessed, unbelievably. We cannot overlook that or overpass that. We are a thankful people. We rejoice in what we have in the Lord. And it should flow out of us. I use the word flow, I think of John 3, 7, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Folks, We have been spiritually reborn, those of us that are believers in Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and it has the possibility of flowing through us as we pray, as we're thankful, as we interact with other people, as we go through our daily walk. I want the Holy Spirit active and flowing in my life. The peace of God that comes, look at verse 7. Here's what comes next. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God comes from our relationship with him. We're not obsessing about something that may happen in the future. We're talking to our God who knows what the future is, and I can trust him. I cannot add an hour to my life. And this peace guards and shields my heart and my mind. 
where we both feel and think. In the Old Testament, one of the words for peace is shalom. In our culture, we say shalom. We just kind of throw it out. Kind of like aloha. But shalom is a word picture. And it's of a rock that is at rest. And it's not a little rock. It's a rock like the size of this church. And say you went outside and hopped in your truck and went, I'm going to move that rock. And you ran into it. You wouldn't budge it. It's unmovable. It's immense. It's at peace. And that is what we're promised in this passage, that we can have peace. And as I look out in the audience, many of you, I know you have been through anxious times, and you have sensed that peace, and you know that peace. But we need to seek it, and we need to believe that the Lord can provide that. I want that peace. Look at verse 8. It wasn't up on the slide earlier. We didn't read it, but I'm going to read it now. We've been talking about the what-ifs and the what-is. And the what-is is what happens today. And that's what we're supposed to focus on today, and how do we deal with today? And here are some things, if you're having trouble focusing on, figuring out what to focus on, is a great list to focus on. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think. Think about these things. Dwell on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I don't know where you're at. I mean, a lot of you, I know, you're very mature. Okay? Something I really respect about the elders, they pray. They ask for prayer requests, they pray. Our staff, we pray for needs that we know of and individuals that we know needs of. But in your private prayer life, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you're praying and running. So if you need to restart, here's how to, a great way to restart. Pray, set aside at least 10 minutes. Pray one request and then listen. Listen. What is the Lord showing you? 
in Scripture or whatever else. Next, ask others to pray for you. When I go through anxious times, I go to my friends and go, hey, pray for me. When someone's sitting in my office and they're going through a terrible time, I always ask, almost always ask, who are your friends? Who can you ask to pray for you and pray with you? And they will give you feedback as to what the Lord is showing them. Next would be journal. When your anxiety gets high, journal. I have filled up books at anxious times, writing out prayers and, Lord, I'm seeking, and I write out answers. Okay? Write them out. I'm old school. I'm not a fan of doing this. I feel like there's some connection between the pen and the paper and my brain and my spirit and my God. I think there's some connection there. Next one. Experiment. If you just keep finding yourself getting bogged down in just these weird anxieties, I've done this before. I ran around for three days with a yellow pad. And I wrote down everything I worried about. Things like, I'm driving down Main Street, and I'm worried that a turkey is going to run out and run into the car. Okay? Have any of you ever thought that? Okay. You fill up a yellow pad, pages and pages and pages of these just wacky anxiety thoughts. Maybe it's just me, but I think you're that way too. Okay? And what it does at the end is it helps us understand the what-ifs. All these things we worry about, most of them never come to fruition, never happen. And there's no answer to fix them. And the Lord is saying, come to me in prayer. Bring your anxieties to me. If you need help, further help, we would love. There's folks up front after every service. Come up and pray with us. And we'll pray for you. And finally, if you've done 30 days of prayer, you've done as much as you can, your friends are praying for you, and they look at you and go, you need help. Go to a counselor. Go to a faith-based Christian counselor who can help you unpack what's going on inside. I want to end with a story. Years ago, years ago, Caroline and I are in seminary. I said we're in seminary together because we were in seminary together. Fourth year, we're driving somewhere, and she looks at me and she goes, there's blood behind your ear. And I go, yeah, I have this place on my scalp, 
and I keep rubbing it, and it bleeds. Sorry, I can see faces. People are getting grossed out. Okay, all right. But it's part of the story. I mean, hey, it's reality. Life is life can be gross. Okay. And she goes, oh, you need to have that looked at. So I go to my regular doctor, and he refers me to a skin doctor. And we go to the skin doctor, and I'm sitting there, and the nurse is talking to me. Well, why are you here? And I go, I have this place on my scalp that's bleeding. And she goes, oh, well, here's a pamphlet about those. And she hands me a pamphlet about melanoma. And the first sentence says, many, uh, much progress has been made in the treatment of melanoma. And Gibbs' take on this pamphlet was this, go home and plan to die. Okay, so they take a biopsy, but Gibb and Caroline go home, and Gibbs going, God, God, what's going on? I've already had two friends in seminary die from cancer. This is serious. I could die. This says I'm going to die. I have a wife. I have two little kids. I'm preparing for ministry. What's going on? And I spent 10 days anxious and praying. And then I get the phone call. Oh, it's a basal cell. We just need to remove it. Let's make an appointment. And I'm going, and it's a close. Every one of us goes through something like this in our lives. And we have to turn to the Lord and trust him with it. And prayer and supplication, seeking him. And that's our encouragement today. Father, help us turn to you. Turn away from the what ifs. Focus on what is. And that's you in us wanting us to turn to you and trust you. Help us to do that. It's in Christ's name. Amen.